0: There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Nancy Sellover, the state climatologist for Arizona, a senior sustainability scientist and research professor at the School of Geographical Sciences and Urban Planning at Arizona State University. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Happy to be here.
0: And I know that, uh, I think, Centauri, you could certainly echo this. It seems like on some of the days in August, it feels like we all might just spontaneously combust. But I think that's been going on for some time. Uh, Nancy, just wanted to, to to learn a little bit about your background and how you got into the field that you are working in.
1: Um, I, uh, I changed careers and uh, went back to school in engineering and then ended up. Rather than aeronautical engineering, I ended up in meteorology because the the atmosphere the plane flies in seemed to be way more interesting than the plane itself. And so that had to deal with weather.
0: Got it. Fair enough. So I've been in Arizona now for almost 20 years. And I think, Centauri, you've been here your whole life. Um, Grew up here. Yeah. So wanted to just... Get your thoughts on how our climate has been changing, if at all, over the past twenty years.
1: <laughs> it's, a big it's been question. changing, and, it, and and it's been changing for a lot longer than twenty years. I've been here since seventy three, um, but Phoenix used to be back in the fifties, sixties, going back the, further than twenty years. Um, Phoenix was a, a reasonable sized town, city, but it was surrounded by irrigated agriculture. And so we had, um, we had everybody flood irrigating their crops, cotton, and, and, uh, and a number of other crops. And so that provided a lot more uh, cooling, evaporative cooling, around the valley. Um, and so night times used to not be, even in the summer, even in the monsoon, not be quite so unbearable. Um, people used to sleep on sleeping porches with little burlap, wet burlap hanging in the window, and then the breeze would come and cool it off. Um, not so today. Um, we've changed all that irrigated agriculture and we replaced it with housing and freeways and pavement and sidewalks and buildings and things that store the heat. So even though our temperature in the daytime, so you say, well, the high temperatures, oh my gosh, we're getting to 120s and 118s and things like that. Reality is our daytime temperatures have changed, oh, say in the past 50, 60 years, maybe three to four degrees um higher than <clears throat> excuse me higher than they used to be but the nighttime temperatures have changed closer to eight or nine degrees warmer. So at night, you notice it doesn't cool off anymore. And we certainly did that to ourselves. That's, that's not a global climate change issue. That's a very local urban heat island issue that we've done. Um, it's, it's gotten worse in, in that last 50 years than it has in the past, say, 20 years. But it's still creeping up there. I mean, we're still adding to this, um, to this urban heat island.
2: Nancy, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, um, you've hit on it twice, the idea of an urban uh, heat island, and what does, that, what does that really mean? What does that look like?
1: Well, so if you take a natural surface, okay, so you have dirt. right you go out in the natural desert and you have dirt okay so little dirt molecules all sit there and each little molecule of dirt is surrounded by a little bit of air and so the Sun heats the surface molecules and they start to vibrate and heat up and then if they're touching other molecules they cause those molecules to heat up and eventually you get what we call conduction so basically the heat is conducted from the surface down deep into the material well with the air spaces between dirt, that doesn't happen so much. The the heat only goes down a few inches at best. But now you take concrete, asphalt, salt, stone materials, um, tile roofs and things, and so that surface gets really hot by the sun and that heat is conducted very deep into the material. We're talking a couple of feet. So now the sun's down. Well when the sun's down on those materials Um, it starts to cool off at the surface, and then the heat just keeps coming up from deep in the material coming back to the surface. It takes all night, if not more than all night, to cool those surfaces down. (laughs) If you've ever been out at 11 o'clock or midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning standing next to a block wall, um, you can still feel the heat coming off it. But those natural materials, the dirt, loses the heat within 15 minutes you can walk out in your bare feet and while you might have burned your bare feet in the middle of the day walking on that dirt, dirt will feel cool when you go out there at night because it loses the heat very quickly. So the entire city cools off very quickly if it still had these natural surfaces, but we don't. We have concrete and pavement and buildings and all those things radiating this heat out on us and making us really uncomfortable.
0: Got it. So is it a fair statement to say that as we've developed the city and moved away from the agriculture that the temperature has been steadily rising just a little bit every year
1: absolutely it absolutely has and it and it's happening in all the seasons it's not just summer or just winter Um, it's a little bit more in the spring and summer than in the winter but it's it's happening in all the seasons
0: and what is is there a direct correlation between between um just water between the the um (laughs) i'm trying to find the technical for for precipitation for 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 drought for evaporation
1: okay well so we have drought being another (laughs) issue right and of course it's a problematic issue um over the past 125 years we've gone into drought and out of drought and into drought and out of drought um The most recent wet period that we had was in the mid-70s or so or late 70s to the mid-1990s when we had a 16-year period of 13 of those years were wetter than the long-term average. I mean, and some were significantly wet. I mean, huge, huge water would be coming down the Salt River, you know, for long periods of time and things like that. Um, Then we got to the mid-90s and that shut down. And so that wet period stopped. And for the last 24, coming on 25 years, we have been in a drought where more of the years are drier than average than are wetter than average by a lot. Um, And they've been, some of them have been extremely dry, like this past winter. Um, So it's, it's typically looked at as a winter issue, although we have. You know, the same thing, we have some wet monsoons and some dry monsoons. Um, Last year was an exceptionally dry winter. We had less than 50% of our our average precipitation uh, for the water year uh, fall almost statewide. Um, And then the monsoon came, and the monsoon was... Okay, but didn't really help that until all of a sudden we got to the first three days of October, and those were gangbusters, right? We had this Hurricane Rosa come up and all this moisture. So Central Arizona got a ton of moisture, which was great. Um, Not everywhere in Arizona got that, but at the end of September, which is the end of the water year, We were still less than 50 percent of what we would normally get Uh, and that's a problem because winter precipitation particularly is what fills the reservoirs in spring when all that snow melts and provides water into the aquifers and the groundwater system and all that when you don't have the snow because you have drought Then you have two things. One, you have a reduced water supply. Secondly, you also have warmer temperatures. So the cold winter storms that bring the snow, hopefully, and precipitation in the winter, when we don't have those cold winter storms, we're in a drought situation. We also don't have the cold air that those storms bring. So now we have warmer conditions. This... um, This past month um, of September was the uh, warmest on record for Tucson, and it was the second warmest on record for Phoenix, and a lot of that um, was the monsoon kind of petered out in September, so in addition to this dry winter, we had sort of a little early kind of end to the monsoon, and then, of course, Rosa came, which was great, but... uh, it's it, so it's hit and miss and so we get wet periods we get dry periods we're hoping we're going to start another wet period i mean october looks like oh boy we could start a new wet period we'll all hope for that but um uh, we don't hold our breath and nancy it, go
2: ahead i was going to say um nancy it's very interesting to hear you talked about the the heat islands and then um, obviously, we have water issues here in Arizona. Um, hopefully, I, I would love your thoughts on how sustainability efforts both at the city and state levels are kind of helping curb all of this. Like, what, what is anyone doing about it?
1: Um, well, in terms of drought and water resources, um, in the Phoenix area, certainly we've been very lucky. Um, over a long period of time because we've really good water management of the reservoir systems that we have within the state. Uh, and so every, every year, uh, as soon as the last rainstorm's over, the, the, the thought is, oh, we've just started the next drought. So they're very careful about managing the water. Um, but the heat is a problem with water. So we use water to generate electricity. And we use electricity to cool ourselves. So air conditioning and all that's a big electrical use. Um, And a lot of the electrical generation methods require water. Um, So that's kind of an issue. We also can use um, trees and vegetation and shade to cool ourselves, right? If you don't let the sun hit your house in the first place, it won't get quite as hot and you won't need quite as much air conditioning. So the cities in and around the valley are working on what we call urban forestry. So they're working on planting trees, providing shade, and not just vegetation, but any other kinds of shade structures that you can do where you can shade sidewalks, you can shade parking lots, you can shade people's houses, you can shade whatever you can to keep that sun from heating up those surfaces and then releasing that heater later at night. Um, so there's those shade issues. And then, of course, all those trees are, trying to, are supposed to be low water use native trees. Once you get them established in a couple of years, you don't have to water them. They will be able to handle... The water that typically falls from the sky, um, so that's uh, another strategy that they're using. Moving us from from water-intensive kind of energy production to less water-intensive uh, is also, you know, part of the strategy. Some of the solar methods use water. Some of the solar methods don't. Um, wind energy typically uh, isn't using a lot of water, um, so those alternative energy strategies are helpful as well.
0: So we've been in this period of drought for give or take twenty five years. Is is it correct or incorrect of me to assume a correlation between the growth of the city and these um, the the urban heat island you described and and the lack of partic- precipitation?
1: Um, we've we, we've often tried to figure out does the urban area itself kind of steer storms around it or does it generate more storms and there's a whole lot of discussion and controversy nobody really has a a total handle on that at this point in time i don't see a huge correlation between the urban development and whether or not we get more storms in the valley as we've seen we've had really dry monsoons and we've had really wet ones and if you look at the pattern each year of which parts of the valley got dumped on and which parts of the valley didn't sometimes downtown phoenix is the bullseye and sometimes it's the donut hole so it it, there's it it can't really say uh, that the urban heat island is 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 impacting that most of the water that falls from the sky on us does not originate here so it's not like irrigated agriculture is where we have the moisture source it evaporates goes into the atmosphere you know, then moves over the city of Phoenix and dumps rain. The moisture typically comes in the summertime. It's coming from Mexico. Monsoon is moisture, uh, circulation brings it up from the south, um, from Mexico, the Gulf of California. And in the wintertime, the moisture that we get typically comes in from the west coast, and it's not a huge amount because the water off the coast of California is cold, so we don't have as much moisture, although if we get something like, Hurricane Rosa or Sergio that followed it, that moisture sometimes gets drawn into our uh, into our winter storms. And this year, that's what they anticipate happening. They're predicting a little bit wetter than average um, winter for us and the whole southern tier states because El Nino is setting up, and that means... Um, but we h- tend to have storms that come across the southern Tier states, and we get some additional tropical moisture that gets sucked into that. And so that's kind of what we're starting to see a pattern of right now. Hopefully that will continue. Um uh, but we'll have to wait and see,
2: Nancy, that was a a great quick education. I'm curious what what are some of the um, I'm sure there are many, but like if you could name one or two misconceptions about, climate change or some of the things that we're talking about, what would they be? Like what do people typically get
1: wrong? Misconceptions, oh, I don't know. Um, one of the things that that, that uh, always annoys me is is when people <laughs> talk about climate change and, and that it, it's great to talk about it and we do need to talk about it. But I, I keep hearing, oh, if we just stop burning fossil fuels, you know, the sea level will go down and the temperatures will drop and we'll all be saved and it'll be okay. Well, that's not really accurate because the, if, if, the, if the CO2, additional CO2 in the atmosphere from burning fossil fuels is causing the warming, say, okay, let's grant you that it is. Um, CO2 has a long, long residence time in the atmosphere. It doesn't come out in any big hurry so it's up there for the next hundred or more years so if you stop burning fossil fuel today everywhere on the globe you're not going to see any change in the next hundred years or more so I'm not saying don't do that but uh, if you want to see a change you know in the next hundred years you're gonna have to do something else maybe you need to pull that co2 out or maybe don't promise people that they'll see an immediate result uh, in terms of climate now, I think burning, stopping or slowing burning fossil fuels is a great idea because tailpipe emissions and all those things put out what I really call pollution. I don't call CO2 pollution because I exhale it. Right, I mean come on right. it's part of nature hmm. trees inhale it but uh, all the other things that come out of tailpipes um, do cause people with respiratory issues um, COPD asthma and all those things cause them respiratory distress so if you can reduce the amount of that junk in the atmosphere um, you'll see an immediate benefit in the health of all the people with respiratory issues I mean in their lifetime you'll see impacts I think that'd be a great thing to be pushing
0: Got it. Okay. So there's, there's a great solution, which seems very practical and, and, and reasonable to me, which is stop automobiles or, or whatever it might be from polluting. If, if you had a magic wand here in Phoenix and you could wave it and a couple of things would change overnight, like emissions from automobiles or whatever those things might be, what what would those things be to make Phoenix more sustainable?
1: Uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, we're a sprawled out, spread out kind of place. We sort of modeled ourselves after California, after LA, um, and it seemed to me back in the seventies that we were doing that without thought <laughs> about where that might take us. Right. Um, but so it, it's 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 difficult to to deal with that. We have. You know, relatively wide streets, we have a lot of freeways. We have people scattered over some 1,700 square miles or so. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how much you can do with that. Um, you know, alternative fuel vehicles are something that just saves, you know, a little bit of that fossil fuel stuff. Um, Low water use vegetation. We already have. We've already reduced our water use by a huge amount since the 1980s, um, partly through regulation, um, low water use plumbing fixtures, and that sort of stuff, but also through. Um, a lot of education of people about let's not waste water and that sort of stuff and and i think that's really important but there's also methods in the middle east i mean the middle east is hotter than we are and has been for a long time and they never had electricity until now i mean recently uh, and managed they managed to live just fine in in that additional heat through a lot of passive um, designs the way they design their cities, uh, the architecture, and, and some of those practices. And I think perhaps we need to go look at those people and see, you know, hey, what did they do? Take a little lesson from how they handled it in a low-tech fashion, because the higher tech we go, the more electricity you have to use to get there, for the most part. And so uh, I think we just need to, to learn some lessons from some other potentially low-tech things. But I don't yep. have a magic wand, and I and I can't have sure. I can't say well. Here's one thing that'll change it all. I, I don't think anything is going to in in one fell swoop. It's a little more complicated than that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Is there a terminal temperature, kind of like terminal velocity? Is there a terminal temperature that the city can reach, or could we go to two hundred?
1: Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think we can go to 200. The current the current record temperature is 134 in the bottom of Death Valley, and um, the the issue with that is the reason they get that got that hot is like I said when I talked about the dirt, um, the, the the heat stays in the very top few inches. The desert surface is actually the hottest surface. In the daytime, if you go out in the desert around Phoenix, you'll be able to see surface temperatures much higher than what you'll see if you shoot your thermometer and point it at the concrete or the asphalt because those materials send that heat down below the surface, but at the desert, all that heat just sits right at the surface. So the surface uh, temperature gets the hottest and the air above it, which is how the air gets heated, um, is also hotter. So I don't think we're going to be seeing air temperatures uh, in that kind of situation, even even coming close to 130 or whatever. Um, the, the issue that I see as potentially a bigger problem is currently the record for Phoenix in terms of the coldest night temperature the warmest low temperature at night is 96 degrees that happened in 2003 it has not happened since Um, and so but we're seeing more nights of 90 degree or warmer as the coolest it got in the summer particularly in um, in July and August when we have that humidity so Anything we can do to cool the surface during the day is going to help keep it from being quite so hot at night. And that's really kind of a more health issue because the homeless and and, and people who either don't have air conditioning or the air conditioning doesn't work or the landlord didn't provide air conditioning or all they have is a swamp cooler, all those things. They have to deal with how do you sleep when it's 93 degrees at night or 94 degrees at night? It's really hard on the human body um, to handle that kind of stress because you never really get a chance to cool off. So I, I think that's that's something we kind of need to more focus on is how to how to bring cooling to those people that um, just don't have an option to get it at this point in time.
0: Got it. There's no no question that is a a big issue that that that, that we need to be focused on. Um, well, just to, just to kind of close, at least from, from, from my perspective, close the loop on this. I joke around with people sometimes that we're not going to be able to live here in, 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 in 20 years. If, if things, and that, that was my question about terminal temperature, because I don't know how much more the city can, can continue to develop. I guess more and more people move here and it's going to, we're going to get more and more people here. Um, but if things maintain kind of where, where we are, do you see the temperature continue to rise or do you think that it will level
1: off? Um, I think it will level off at some point. I think the, the cities are, are very making a very concerted effort to try and figure out how to provide more shading, how to provide more cooling, how to make it more comfortable for the people who live here. Now, whether that involves moving to a more urban kind of a structure in, in many parts of the city or, you know, bringing in more shade or doing something, I mean, you can't just plant trees everywhere, um. But but they're working very hard on trying to find ways to do that, whether it's cool roofs or green roofs or other things where we can keep that nighttime heat um, from being so oppressive. Um, they're working on it. Very hard, and and uh, and and I and I don't. It, it, I mean, if nobody were doing everything, everybody just closed their eyes and said, "Hey, that's the way it is. Just live with it." Then you know we may get to that point, but I don't think that's going to happen. I really am optimistic um, that we're going to be able to slow this or stop this in its tracks. Um, the actual temperature change at night in the in the past twenty years has only been about point um, seven degrees. It's been less than one degree um in the in the uh summer and the spring which are the two hottest uh periods um so we've slowed it from where it was uh headed so uh i I don't know maybe we've reached the terminal point of how hot can it get maybe we're already slowing it down um but i don't know exactly what it's going to get to be
0: you don't have a crystal ball nancy
1: <laughs> no, I don't. No, and I, I guess if I did, you know, I'd play the lottery. <laughs> yes. Or the Mega yes. Millions.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Yes. Then that wouldn't be fair for everybody if I had the crystal ball for that.
0: No, unless you cut. I some wish I did, though. Then, then it would be totally fine. All right, ex- excellent. Um, I just really wanted to get your take on climate change. It seem well, climate change is a very polarizing issue. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: why do you think that that is? And, and if we had clear heads, how would we talk about
1: it? Well, I, I, I personally think it, it, it's, 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 a it's a science issue. It should have remained a science issue in which case everybody would have sat down and started throwing out thoughts and ideas, uh, on it. And but but it it was instantaneously brought to everybody's attention and made a political issue right off the get right right off the off the bat. So once that happened, it became toxic. For a lot of people to talk about it because you have um, you have people that are you know depending on your funding source if you're doing research everyone likes to say oh well we can't believe what you say because you're funded by the Koch Brothers or because your research is funded by Exxon Mobil, or because your research right. is funded by the Nature Conservancy I mean it works both ways um, and it's like well if we're scientists and we're worth anything we don't give a damn what the result is relative to who funded us. You know, this is here's what I found. End of conversation. I'm going to publish it. You may not fund me again because you didn't like it, but that's that's right. that was tough. You know, here's yeah. here's what we did. Um, but people become afraid you know, and then people get castigated, you know, and it, it works on both sides. It's not a, it's not a one-sided thing. Um, and that's a shame because, you know, everyone, and, and when people come out and say, well, the consensus is X. Well, I'm sorry. Science isn't about consensus. If we don't continually question whatever the result is, then we never move forward. We say, oh, no, we know everything. You know, if they'd stopped and said, well, we know how the Earth was formed, and you know you can. We're not going to pay any attention to your plate tectonics because we already know how everything happened. Well, you didn't really know, you right. know. You needed to have that argument. You needed to have somebody who pushed and said, "Really, really? Are you sure?" Because none of these things can be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. So we continually try to disprove them. And the more we just were not able to disprove them, the the more entrenched we think that's probably the case. But we never 100 percent say, oh, yeah, this is this is the way it is. Nothing we can do about it.
2: Nancy, I'm I'm curious, given exactly what you said, have you seen in the profession an uptick of folks that want to do the work that you're doing? More people getting passionate about this, uh, probably kids or young adults going through and saying, I want to be a part of this movement. Are you seeing more scientists rallying around this topic or is it same old, same old?
1: Well, I'm I'm seeing more that say, you know, what can we do? You know, so there's one thing about mitigating what you believe may be causing this, but it's another thing to mitigate and adapt to what's happening and what is going to be happening for some time into the future. So even if you're able ultimately to mitigate and, you know, change everything and have the planet start cooling, until that happens, you still need to mitigate against the impact of the heating that you're seeing and, and adapt to it. And so I think more people are starting to say, okay, well, you know, in the meanwhile, you know, until somebody solves the issue, we need to still live. So what can we do um, to make it. it better for everybody? What can we make it, it, it how can we adapt to this? And, and I think that's, you know, that's the strength of the humans is that we can adapt better than any other species. And so we need to be working on that too.
0: I love it. And what would your advice be to people who are, uh, not interested in getting into this line of work full time, but do want to help however they can.
1: Um, I don't know. Get in, get get involved. See what see what you know. See what your city's doing. See what uh, is going on around you. Um, you know, if you can conserve, I mean, conserving resources is is, is always critical. We're, we're in a desert environment. conserving water is always an important thing to do. Whatever you can do um, to move along that line, whatever you can do to use less energy, um, is going to save water and it's going to keep you cooler. Um, it reduce your costs. All of those things. Um, so just, just be paying attention. You can't, you can't, None of, no, no single person can solve a global issue. No single person is going to solve the city issue, but you can solve your issue. You have a house, you have an apartment, you have a something. Do what you can to make yourself more comfortable, cooler, using less energy or water or whatever. And if everybody does that, you know, there'll be some progress, but, you know, everybody has to do their own little piece and not worry about, oh, I can't change the world. I can't do anything. No, you can't. You can do something. You And no, you can't change the world by yourself, but you can do something and you can make yourself more comfortable. You can make your environment near you more comfortable.
0: Amen, sister. We've got to tend <laughs> to the part <laughs> of the garden <laughs> that we can reach. So yep. I love it. Centauri, what else? I
2: didn't answer all my questions. That was really illuminating. And thank you, Nancy, for, for being on.
0: You're Nancy, you Anything else you'd like to share?
1: Uh, nope, I'm good.
0: Where where can folks learn more about you and your work?
1: Um, azclimate.asu.edu is my website. Um, the State Climate Office, you can Google it and call me up, ask me questions, email me. On My website is, my email address is in there.
0: Perfect. Well, Nancy, I'm 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 not gonna pack my bags and move out of the state anytime soon. I'm gonna stick around. So, thank you so much for uh, for for coming. Thank on. you, Nancy. Thanks, uh, thanks okay. as always for listening. Please do uh, subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. On behalf of Centauri and I, thanks as always for listening. Please subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and feel free to share the show on social media. Thanks a lot.